Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your tour guide, Paul Oren. You can find me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can find Union Street Hoops on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Pods, and NWI.com. Obviously, you know where you can find it because you're here, and I thank you for that. I thank you for listening and the continued support. It's Memorial Day weekend, and we've got a fun episode planned for you. Todd Eichau, the voice of the Crusaders, joins Union Street Hoops here on episode 119. And Todd and I are going to go through the top 10 players of the decade to put on a Valparaiso uniform. Now, before we get into this a little bit, you know, a couple different things. Aaron Levitt and I did a great podcast in January where we picked the top players by position over the last 10 years. This is a little different. Um, This is going ranking one through 10. My editor, Mike Clark at the Times said, hey, let's put together this list. Let's do this. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, Number one's easy. Number two is easy. Number three's, wait, three through 10, not easy. Actually a very, very difficult process here. Um, And and I want to come back to that a little bit here. Uh, I do want to touch on one other thing before we get back to this. So recruiting is affected by all of this right now, scouting and all of those things. But it's it's interesting. The women's basketball team is killing it on the recruiting trail at the moment. And when I say trail, I mean they probably haven't gone anywhere. So on the Zoom recruiting trail, the women's basketball team in the last month have gotten three verbal commitments for the class of 21. So Each program, the women's team and the men's team, each have four seniors for this year. The men, Zion Morgan, Aaron Gordon, Malik McMillan, Nick Robinson. The women, Grace White, Addison Stoller, Ella Ellenson, Caitlin Morrison. I think Marley Prophet is probably going to kind of step away due to medical, but that, again, that could be up in the air. Um, But as far as I know, that each team has four at the moment. The women's basketball team has gotten verbal commitments from Katie Byer, Lovey Malone, and Molly Sheehan. Uh, Malone and Sheehan are Sheehan within the last week. And so they have, uh, and, and I'm, I don't think I'm missing one, but, you know, there's, I think they've got one open scholarship left. Don't quote me on that because, you know, with verbals, it, it's it's kind of hard to catch unless you, you find it on Twitter or anything like that. Um, the men's team, as of right now, from what I understand, don't have any verbal commitments uh, for the class of 21. Um, looking down the line, obviously, they've got the junior Daniel Sackey, sophomores Donovan Clay, Emil Friesvillian, Ben Cricky, and Good News Capigal. I imagine Sigurd Lorang will get a medical redshirt, I would think, and then he would join with uh, Jacob Ognasevic, Sheldon Edwards, and Connor Barrett in the freshman class. The women, their breakdown, you know, we talk about White, Stoller, Ellenson, and Morrison – the junior class of Elise Pitts, Shea Frederick, and Kerry Weinman, the sophomore class of Kara Van Kempen, Zoe McKay-Zacker, and the incoming freshmen who have all signed Leah Ernest, Lauren Gunn, Ava Interante, Interante, I think, and Jada Johnston. So each team right now, as it stands, looks to have 13 players coming back for next year. Um, And then Bayer, Malone, and Sheehan for the women have verbally committed, and the men have yet to have any verbal commits. That's as all as far as we know at the moment, right? So this, these things can change, and it'll be interesting to see between now and 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 then when uh, now and in, in the early signing period, November, what happens here. Um, so okay, let's let's talk about this all decade thing because there's no other Valpo news going around at this point. You know, interested to see how schedule is going to play out. A lot of schools are are kind of coming out with some non-conference stuff now, and uh, some of them might be leaning towards staying closer to home. What that would mean for Valpo, I don't know, because, uh, you know, it takes two to tango. Does this mean Valpo plays Notre Dame or Purdue or IU or Butler or Ball State or, you know, Fort Wayne? I I, I don't know. Do they go into Illinois? Do they play Eastern Illinois? Do they, I mean, are they doing all bus trips at this point? I have no idea. There's I really don't know. And I think it'll be interesting to see if there are – if, if, if games get put on hold a year or what the deal is, I just, I don't know. I, I really, you know, are, are more non-D1s going to end up on the schedule because it's closer to get to? 
I think we're a bit away from from getting all of that information right now. So um, that said, not a lot of news going out there in the world, Valpo basketball related. Uh, so I did want to take the time here to talk about this decade list. So it was the top 10 players of the decade. That was what I was asked to do. And there were a couple things right from the jump that I decided that I needed to, to, to throw out in order to do this. One of which was, would Brandon Wood and Corey Johnson be eligible for this? Brandon Wood, as you know, in the 2010-11 season, averaged 16 points a game, started all 33 games, and uh, you know had 1.7 steals a game, had an excellent, excellent season. Corey Johnson averaged 14 points a game, four and a half rebounds a game, uh, also did very well that year. I did not put either Brandon Wood or Corey Johnson on this list. And the reason for that was I wanted to have them have more than one season in the decade. Now, I suppose you could argue that they played their conference season in the spring of 2010, but I really, I went from 2010 to 2020, that stretch here in the, uh, in, in the list, um, in the uh, from the fall to the spring, the fall of 2010 to the spring of 2020, those seasons. Um, I I thought I just thought it was hard to put a guy that had only played one full year uh, in that. Now that said, one of the guys that that makes it onto the list only really played um, a year and a half for Valpo, although they backloaded their schedule to make sure that they got as many games as possible for Levante Doherty in his first year. Levante, I think, ended up playing 55 games in his, maybe a little bit more than that, 59 games, I think, in his Valpo career. And for me, the cutoff was 50, right? I wanted to see you play at least 50 games in the decade in order to uh, to have that kind of conversation take place. And so Brandon Wood and Corey Johnson, although they do go down, if we're making, you know, a list of the top, you know, 10 players of the last 20 years, they're certainly in consideration, I think, at least, um, you know, if we're doing top 20 of the last 20 years, they're certainly making that list. But they did not make the top 10 of the last 10 years because, again, they were right on the on the cusp there. Howard Little, another guy, too, who, um, you know, only had a year in the decade. So it was a guy that uh, I think very highly of but just did not make the list. So then the question had to be, uh, you know, are we are we ranking on talent? Are we ranking on numbers? Are we ranking on because if if we're ranking on talent, well then a guy like Evictor Nickerson certainly got to be on the list. But if we're ranking on numbers, he's not going to be on the list. If we're ranking on story, well then John Kaiser's got to be on the list. But you were, you know, I, so it was an interesting kind of parameter to put down. So for me, I came up with the list of 10. I shot it off to Todd. He had some thoughts. I reconfigured a couple of things and I put three guys on the honorable mention list, guys that you won't see named in the paper, but guys that certainly there were three guys that stood out to me as, uh, you know, if we were going to do maybe the, the top 13, they certainly would have made it. So I want to throw it over to Todd now, and we're just going to go down through the list, and we're going to tell some stories and uh, kind of look at these different guys. And and the one thing I was, I was struck by as I went through this was, man, Valpo's had a lot of talented basketball players over the last 10 years. And not only that, but just a lot of fun people to be around. And I think you'll hear that both from myself and from Todd as we take a look at the top 10 best players in Valpo over the last decade. Joined by the voice of Valpo Athletics, Todd Eichau. Todd, thanks for joining. It feels like it's been forever uh, since the, the St. Louis trip, and that was really the last time life was normal. What has life been like for you over the last two months? Wow. Uh, you're right. It seems like a lot longer than it's been. It's only been a couple months, but it seems like the normal way to go through life is just staying inside. Um, a lot of internet poker, Paul. <laughs> are okay you, by me. Are you, well, I imagine you're doing pretty well then, so that's good. That's good. Not not much has changed, just the, the manner of which you're playing poker. That's great. Um, you know, this podcast has been a lot of fun to do since this went down early on in, in the 
quarantine world, I, I interviewed Alec Peters and I've done Howard Little and now just recently Vashiel Fernandez. And then uh, my editor at the Times came back and said, let's let's look at the top 10 players in the decade. And now Aaron Levitt and I had kind of picked some decade stuff earlier in January. Uh, but but so I put together this list of 10, actually kicked around the ideas with you. You talked me off the ledge on a couple of guys. Um, and I, I just I thought it would be cool as the voice of Valpo, who spent a lot of time with these guys. I want to reveal this top 10 and just kind of get some of your memories or thoughts about some of these guys and uh, and where they stand up in the pantheon of Valpo players. If there's a funny moment that you remember about any of these guys, I know that will be uh, testing the brain power a little bit, but I'm sure you're up sure. for it. Sure. In fact, I, uh, I think we eventually came to the conclusion of the exact same top 10, which is which is good, I guess. Yeah, we did. We did. There were a couple of guys that that are on my honorable mention list, and we'll go ten through six, and then I'll throw out a couple of these honorable mention guys, and then we'll go five through one, and then uh, we'll be good to go. So, uh, number ten was Shane Hammock, and a guy that uh, that wasn't on my original list until I went back and looked at the numbers a bit more. The transfer from LSU. He came in, he sat out a year uh, in 2014-15, in and then he played. His first year was that year that they go to the NIT, and the second year was uh, Alec Peters' senior year, and uh, Shane just really blossomed as a scorer that year. Yeah, and I know that pro- he- actually probably one of the top five most talented players of the decade, although I- I'm sort of like you, I guess. I look at two-year players a little more partially than four-year players. I, I guess I give a little more credit to the four-year players over the two-year players uh, because they contributed more to the program. So, so that's important when you look at the all-decade team who contributed the most seasons. Um, Shane had that big game against Oregon State, remember that, uh, where he was the best player on the court when Valpo went to Oregon State and won. And Gary Payton's son was on the team at Oregon State. Eventually it was a draft pick. So it tells you how good Shane was in that game. Of course, his block shot in the NIT to seal the victory over BYU was was a big moment. Um, and then he had big games, and he hit a big shot. Was it at Green Bay? He had a game winner, Paul? I Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly that, that situation there. Uh, they, had, so. they had Alec Peters, but it was Shane Hammock who hit a three from the top of the key yep. in the final two seconds of the game. And I'm pretty sure it was at Green Bay, and that was a game in which you know, Valpo was sort of fighting for, all right, if they somehow don't win the Rising Lake Tournament, will they still get a bid in the NCAA uh, at that point, which, of course, didn't happen. And uh, Hammock hit a shot, which which was a, a much-needed victory uh, for Valpo. I remember back, you know, the year that he sat out, there, there was a little bit of a game was sort of a wild child, and he had a couple off-the-court issues. And you recall... If I remember this correctly, uh, Bashir Fernandez got a fifth year of eligibility, um, and that was right before Shane started his eligibility. And Alpo actually had a player they, they had to get rid of because they had signed a full class. And then Bashir came in, and of course, Bashir came back, which left Alpo with one too many scholarships. And I think some of the scuttlebutt around Valpo fans was that, you know, maybe Shane Hammock would never play a game at Valpo and because of the off the court issues, uh, just move on. And I'll never forget. I had a conversation with the Valpo coach about this and Valpo eventually let one of their players go who never played at Valpo. Do you remember this? It was a Dan- big, Daniel, was a, a, Daniel Relvau, who there you, there you go. later on went to George Mason, underwent knee surgery, I think on both knees and, and kind of fizzled out. I, I remember this because I, I, I was the one who suggested to somebody when Vashiel, uh got that extra year. I said, well, just get rid of Shane. Like, you, you know, and, and one of the assistant coaches said to me, he's the second best player on the team. Yeah. And there had been a, you know, this is kind of inside info. There was a there was a conversation on staff where um, Shane's name was brought up, and Bryce immediately shot it down. He said, "No, if we want to get where we want to get and win an NCAA tournament game, I think this was almost verbatim his quote. We need Shane. He's too talented. 
we need to make it work with Shane Hammock, and it turned out to be a good decision. And Shane Hammock, since graduating, has gone on to play professional basketball, and Shane comes back to Valpo quite a bit, as a matter of fact. And uh, when he's in the uh, when he's in the states, he comes back to Valpo. He gets some work workout in at the Arc, and uh, he's he has stayed pretty connected with Valpo after even after graduating. And uh, tough end to his. His career there, he was uh, he was sick, really sick, the last couple of games, uh, both in um, uh, I think the the Horizon League the tournament, but that game against Illinois late um, uh, in the NIT was was tough. Uh, he was, no, he was, I just real real quick point, and let's not forget that when Alec Peters was injured and Valpo needed to go to Wright State to win to, to keep Popes alive of winning the conference title. Uh, Shane Hammock stepped up, and I think he had 25 in that game, maybe yeah, 27 in that game career. at Wright State against a very good team in which Valpo was an underdog without uh, Alec Peters on the road, and Shane led him to, to a victory. It was a great performance. Career-high 25 points for uh, Shane Hammock in that game. Uh, keeping with the transfer idea, um, I moved some guys around after my initial thought, and uh, and I've got Levante Doherty, number nine, Um Another guy who, for me, just uber-talented player that kind of had one of those odd situations where he had to come in in the middle of the season, and you always kind of wonder how those mid-season transfers are going to play out. We've got another one that'll be on the list here a little bit later on. Levante came in, scored 20 points in his first game at Missouri State. I think he got to the free throw line like a dozen times, uh, which is like a recurring thing for him like throughout his career. And uh, and then he was an interesting guy in that he was a role player on the broke-off team that goes to the NCAA tournament, and then he was the leader on the team when Alec Peters was a freshman. And uh, I just I always loved watching Levante Doherty play, one of my favorite players to see on the court. Well, I tell you, he had one of the best games of the decade, without question. That at game at UIC. UIC. Uh, and this was, this has been kind of a trend for 25 years, or at least 20 years. Guys from Chicago having big games in Chicago. Um, Levante, of course, was was a public league player, uh, had gone to South Florida, transfers to Valpo, and had really was it. So he played two and a half seasons. Is that correct? Yeah. So he he started at South South Florida. He transferred. Um, I, you know, I, again, I believe he he didn't get eligible until midway through the twenty twelve thirteen season. He, he so he left it semester. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and actually came and and, and right he had the game at, at Missouri State. And thus, he actually forfeited basically a half a season of eligibility instead of sitting out a year and a half. Um, I, I think his deal how, was how it works out. Was yeah, is he he went to he played in nine games at South Florida, and then he decided to transfer, and then he he went to a JUCO I think just to be a student for a semester and then he ended up at Valpo and he was eligible to play in the middle of the season and he was named the Horizon League sixth man of the year that season. Yeah, and he, he was probably one of the best pure shooters that, that Valpo saw in the decade. Um, do you have the numbers from the UIC game? I, I know the first half was about as, you know, it reminded me of the uh, Jordan game against uh, Portland uh, in the, in the uh, in the NBA Finals, where he just kept making a shot from further and further back. Levante was 10 of 15 from the floor. He knocked down five three-pointers. He was 8 of 10 from the free-throw line. He had five rebounds, three steals, and finished with a career-high 33 points. And I just remember sitting on press row near you and at one point just looking at you and just like we were it was like a it was a sight to see. I I, I put this Levante Doherty game and Javon Freeman Liberty's performance his freshman year at Illinois State as just some of, two of the most jaw dropping. This guy has taken, and 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 then we can put like most of Alec Peters' career in this conversation. But sure. just like I can't believe what we're watching right now. And so Levante, I thought it's just an excellent memory there on on that game, and and really one of the great. And and he wanted to go to UIC. He really did, and he had a great relationship with Howard Moore. And uh, and everybody there, 
but it just it didn't work out and they didn't you know show him him the the love and and he came to Valpo and and he and as you said like a lot of Chicago guys kind of took it personally a little bit <laughs> yeah the big game at UIC we saw that so many times uh, throughout uh, the past couple decades of the Chicago kids playing very well there and Levante was uh, a joy to be around a great teammate uh, one of those bridge guys, as you said, uh, where he was a role player on the Brokoff team and then uh, was a kind of a, a leader, a standout the following year when Alec Peters was a freshman. So this next guy, number eight, has one of the most unique stat lines in program history, and I'll let you kind of share it, who he's in company with. Matt Kenny, what yeah, stands I, out to you? I, I, I think Matt Kenny, and I've talked to you about this, is, is one of the most overlooked Valpo players throughout my broadcasting career. Um, and maybe because he didn't put up the huge scoring numbers, but he was, he's probably, and I'll give you a little story about this. He's probably uh, one of the three or four best overall defenders uh, in the 30 years I've been around the program. Uh, so people, you know, a lot of times the defense gets overlooked, uh, but on the ball, he would absolutely uh, shut you down. And he did everything. Uh, he could shoot. He could play point. He could play one, two, or three. He could guard one, two, three, or four. Um, I looked it up to verify it. So in the history of Valpo basketball, at least since since the numbers have been kept, players with over 350 rebounds, over 300 assists, and over 800 points, there's been three overall. Bryce Drew, Lubos Barton, and Matt Kenny. That's it. That's the complete list of players who encompass those three, those, you know, the kind of the top three statistical uh, numbers uh, hitting those milestones. That shows you how complete Matt Kenny was. And, and I'll remember a conversation uh, I had when Matt was a freshman, and it was at a point where he wasn't playing huge minutes, uh, but Valpo started to play some zone. In fact, in, in both the, Matt's freshman and sophomore years, they played a little more zone. Uh, as the year went on, both seasons. And um, I was having a conversation. It was in Luke Gore's office, and uh, Jake Diebler was an assistant coach at that point. Of course, Jake was one of the great defensive guards to ever play at Valpo. Uh, and we were talking about you know, my recollection of who are the best perimeter defenders. I didn't know where they were going with the conversation, but who are the best perimeter defenders? players I had seen, uh, and at that point was, was nearly, uh, or about 20 years of Alpo basketball. Uh, and I mean, so Jake Diebler, who was sitting right there, yeah. uh, was, was pretty much as good an on-ball uh, overall perimeter defender. Uh, and I had mentioned uh, Ron Howard. And when I said Ron Howard, Jake came into the conversation and immediately said, Matt Kenny is a better defender than Ron Howard, and there's no question about it. Or something like it was very strong with the statement. Uh, and I tried to really focus on, on Matt's defense, and we were in the middle of the season. And I think it, it was freshman year, but maybe it was sophomore year. I, I, I can't remember. But, uh, you know, I just marveled at watching Matt play defensively. Uh, and, we, and we overlooked that. And he would make big shots. Well, he made he made one of the biggest shots that – I have said this many times. We could talk about this shot every day, and it would still be overlooked. The three-pointer against Green Bay late from the corner that set up broke off hitting the three moments later. That that shot by Matt Kenny, the corner three-pointer to get it off with the defender there, it was uh, what an excellent play. It, it set up the opportunity for Brokoff to hit the three to be the game winner. And I think about uh, 10 days earlier, Valpo played at Green Bay, and Matt Kenny won six for six from three. Um you know, interesting thing about Matt Kenny is you talk about those numbers, and he's got all of them. He also, out of 130 career games, only started 40. He averaged 24 minutes a game in his career. So he played. There's no question. He got minutes. But he was also this the role that he had. that There was never a year that he started um, – that, that he started, you know, more than 60% of the games. I mean, even his senior year, only started 18 out of 33. And uh, consummate team guy, one of my one of my favorite players to watch. Right. Here 
was a guy who was a, a huge scorer, an Indiana All-Star in a high school, who was who at his junior year was was an All-State football player as well. Could have played college football uh, at a wide receiver spot. Didn't play football. I don't think his senior year at Mooresville to concentrate on basketball. Um, and it was very fortunate he ended up in Valpo and ended up being a great kid. Again, he didn't put up the huge scoring numbers, which maybe he was capable of, but again, he played with Ryan Brokoff for four years. He played with Brandon Wood for a couple seasons. Um, you know, the shots just wasn't like he, he was forcing things either to be a big scorer. But I think in, in, in another situation, he could have probably been an 11 or 12 point a game score because he had the ability to take it off the bounce. And let's not forget, when Valpo finally won at Butler, yeah. Over time, it was Matt Kenny going left baseline. A set play, by the way, for Matt Kenny. Bryce Drew called a set play for Matt Kenny. Isolation on the left baseline, uh, on the left wing to the left baseline, and got to the hoop and scored the clinching basket for Valpo's victory over Butler at Hinkle. Your memory is impeccable on this stuff, and that's why we've got you here. Uh, number seven on the list, a guy that maybe it was similar to Matt Kenny in a lot of ways, Tavon Walker, another excellent defender. But here's a guy who showed up on campus, joined an incredibly talented team as a freshman, earned a starting spot, and didn't leave the starting lineup for much of the rest of his career. He had that moment where he had the ankle injury uh, at the end of his sophomore year. He came back for the NIT run and came off the bench. Shane went into the starting lineup there. And then I think there was one game each in uh, his junior and senior year that he didn't start, uh, either coming off mono or uh, or coming off an ankle. But Tavon Walker, just kind of a guy, I looked at the numbers and I was like, you know, he was such a silent assassin throughout his career, a great player and somebody that I think will probably be overlooked in, in the grand scheme of things. Well, he played in the shadows of Alec Peters in those three great Peters seasons. So it, it was not easy to get, you know, similar, not easy to get off all those shots um, that you would like if you are a guy who's capable of putting up 20 or 25 in a game. He had that huge game at Oakland. I, I think it was kind of the, the emergence of the Peters teams as being a dominant team. Uh, Valpo and Oakland maybe were co-favorites to win uh, that year. And they, they went to Oakland, and he said, well, it's not never easy to go to Oakland. And, and Javon Walker on an Alec Peters team was the best player on the court. Uh, had a phenomenal game. I think he had, he had one play, if I recall, where he kind of jumped into the crowd and kept the ball alive and then got back in. It was similar to the, the Jordan play where he jumps into the crowd, saves it, and then gets it back and scores. Um, he had big games. He went through mono. He went through an ankle injury. Uh, he unfortunately... Um, did not have a great senior season uh, in which everybody said, well, here's he's going to excel now with, with Peters gone. He didn't have a terrible senior season, but he didn't have that great big senior season. Um, and, and you know, it was the first year in the Valley as well. And, I mean, he's, he, he averaged, he jumped his points per game up by three points. And, uh, and you know, he, he, he played, he's averaged 1.7 steals a game. His assists went up that year, is uh, but you know he just could never get the three point shot going there. Uh, started at thirty four percent his maybe freshman that, year. Maybe that's what I was going to say. That was he didn't shoot the ball as well as he had in previous seasons. Is that right? Yeah, he went so from three thirty four percent as a freshman, thirty percent as a sophomore, twenty nine percent as a junior, and twenty eight and a half percent as a uh, as a senior. Yeah, and maybe you know. You don't get as many clean looks either when, when Peters is gone, I guess. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Tavon was a tremendous player. And similar to Matt Kenny, an elite defender um, and a guy who could take the ball to the basket. Uh, really had a, and you know, you talk about four year players like Matt Kenny, again, a guy who was a four year player with the program. I guess as years go on, there's less and less of those four year players. And he is, uh, you know, again, one of those guys that. I, I wonder how different things look for him his senior year if, in fact, he's in the Horizon League and, and finishing out there. And, uh, you know, it was a big jump for everybody there in, in the Valley. And also, again, you talk about Alec being gone and that, you know, taking away a lot of those clean looks. Tavon's backcourt mate his first year, 
was um, really, for my money, one of the biggest what-ifs of all time in Valpo basketball history. Number six on my list, Keith Carter. Yeah, I actually have Keith higher on my list. And you know I'm a huge Keith Carter fan. I know fan. you are. I know you are. And, and I, you know, I went back and, and watched uh, when they were on those two games from the NIT, from the Final Four at Madison Square Garden, and Keith was just controlled the game against BYU for the most part. And, I, and I, again, I've said this before, if Keith doesn't get injured in the first half against George Washington, there's no way that game ends the way it does. I'm not saying Valpo wins. There's no way it becomes a George Washington blowout. Keith was, remember he had an injury late in the season as well. He was as valuable as any player on those teams. I know Bashil defensively uh, was dominant. Obviously, Alec Peters was the best player in the league by a mile. Uh, but Keith Carter was his ability and, you know, the point guard spot. Uh, he was the best point guard of the decade. He controlled the game. Again, he could score, but he didn't need to. And he also was a tremendous on-ball defender. Yes, he was, without question. And just a, I mean, it's such a shame that he never got that last year. And and if they could have all got the band back together for that final year, it just felt it. And so let me ask you that, like, was it close? Do you, like, do you think Valpo thought they were getting him back? They did. In fact, I had a conversation with Matt Lodick about it uh, after he'd gotten the job. Um, and he felt, well, you know, all St. Louis has to do is kind of sign off that Keith Carter was injured, uh, and that's why he didn't play. Um, and if he had been injured, you could have deemed it as a medical redshirt that year because he didn't play enough games. Where you you know you could have and with that red shirt that would have allowed him to pick up that extra season because then if he had red shirted and then transferred and missed a semester then he could have come back in and picked up with a full year of eligibility he only played two and a half years of college basketball which was a ripoff he played eighty five games and it just it felt you know there's guys that played one hundred and thirty eight games and he played eighty five he played three games and thirty nine minutes for St. Louis. He gets hurt. he was hurt. The coach passes away, and oh, just a, a huge, huge what if you look at players that have been granted waivers these days for far less, and here's Keith Carter who barely played at St. Louis and had his coach die. Rick Majerus died. Uh, what, like three weeks into Keith Carter's freshman season? Uh, he had issues with Jim Cruz. He was injured. He wasn't playing. He transferred at semester. And when he came to Valpo, Bryce Drew would tell you this, he didn't play basketball the first two or three months because he was rehabbing the foot. So he didn't even play when he came to campus in the middle of that season. That yeah. shows that he was not healthy when he was at St. Louis. He got jobbed by the NCAA. Without question. Without question. We'll get to five through one in a little bit. Um, there were uh, there were three names that really stood out to me as guys that uh, that at least are endearing to either the Valpo fan base or their Valpo teammates. Guys that didn't make the top ten list here, but guys that I just feel when we're talking about the the great players of the decade, these guys are in my brain because of what they meant. Um, Eric Bugs is one of them. Uh, the single-handedly basically winning the 2013 Horizon League title game when Billy Donlin said, we're going to make Eric Bugs beat us, and then Eric Bugs did. Um, the, you know, I, he, we talk about four-year guys. He was a five-year guy. Yeah. Just just quickly, because uh, we'll go through these three guys quickly, just a quick Eric Bugs memory you might have. Well, obviously that championship game uh... – against Wright State, in which Eric was, was dominant. You know, I think, my, you know, some of the things I think about Eric was what a great teammate he was, how great he was to be around. Uh, they, let's not forget, maybe the biggest moment of his career was he takes the charge at Detroit. Remember those, those Valpo-Detroit games were wars back then at Callahan Hall. Uh, he takes the charge with 4.5 seconds to go, and then Valpo, 80 feet away, inbounds the bug. He makes it from 80 feet away to the cup 
well within the four and a half seconds and lays it in at the buzzer. Tyus Edney was a jealous at Eric Bugs' speed there. Uh, later on that night, uh, Luke Gore sprinted out of the arena and drove to meet his uh, son for the first time. His son had just been yeah. bored. Um, Eric Bugs, you know, and, and a great program advocate. The guy drove from Memphis Absolutely. to St. Louis for the title game earlier uh, earlier this uh, this year, and uh, you know, great guy. Uh, Jabril Adekoya, another one on my list, and, and you know, he was a guy that really was the heartbeat. We talked to his teammates. Jabril was the emotional leader of those teams. He and, was, and, and you're talking Eric Bugs and Jabril Adekoya, and I think I know you're going on the third guy. And these were three of the best teammates. You talk about it, guys who were positive at all times and that their teammates loved. And you've mentioned the, the two so far. Obviously a shame what happened to, to Jabril in his senior season, and that, that sort of derailed Valpo. Remember how good that Valpo team was? Well, they beat That's, Alabama, yeah. Beat Alabama. Uh, beat BYU, beat a ranked Rhode Island team uh, at the Ark. Uh, you know, if Jabril had played all, you know, the entire season, and if uh, Alec had stayed healthy the entire season, the Valpo team could have won a game in the NCAA tournament without question. And then the third guy, uh, it's recency bias, and he was always probably like the tenth most talented guy on the floor. But John Kaiser, it, you know, not only his story from walk on to earning a scholarship to every year kind of being like, well, you know, we, you know, if, if, if Kaiser's playing 20 minutes a game, we probably got problems. And into the fact that he was in that Loyola game, just refusing to lose. Was, was there a better overtime performance by a Valpo basketball player in the decade than John Kaiser? Against Loyola in the tournament, probably no, not. Right? No, I, w- I w- no, not at all. So you you traveled with the team. I don't. I I really only got to see him when he was on the court, and you know there were times when he was moving slow on the court. But being in St. Louis and being around them, I saw how quickly he was slipping into a walking boot after the games. How slowly he was moving. Huh. You'd be back at the team hotel with these guys. I mean, was. Like, how hurt was he? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I kind of forget about that because of how well he played. Uh, John iced up after every game on the bus. Um, he was, and a lot of it was a style of play, uh, but also we forget, uh, you know, when you go through a full season um, as, a, as a 20, 20, 21-year-old uh, player, uh, it's a lot of wear and tear on a young body. Uh, and John, because of his style of play, uh, his ability to die for every loose ball, uh, to bang bodies, to bang defensively, um, he probably wasn't at 100% when you would get into February. Uh, but he always, whether it was the, the foot, and he had, uh, what, a couple different ankle injuries throughout his career. I think he had maybe at least two ankle injuries that cost him games um, over two different seasons. Uh, but but John played through a lot of pain and and uh, I think came back in, in three games this past uh, season from an injury that that you know a lot of other players actually would end up missing a full month or, or longer. Uh, but he clearly was not at 100. percent But he never could have told that the way he played in the in the in the um, MVC tournament. And so great that he was rewarded by making the All Tournament team. It was a great sort of end to his career. Sad that Valpo lost in the championship game to Bradley, but from a John Kaiser standpoint, uh, great culmination with him playing his best basketball. And, you know, you say maybe the 10th most talented player. By the time I think March rolled around in his senior season, he ended up being one of the best players in the league. That's how well he played in the NBC tournament. He deserved to be on that all-tournament team. It wasn't a sentimental vote. Uh, but he was one of the five best players uh, in St. Louis in March. Without question. And one of the other guys that made the all-tournament team, as we slide back in now, five through one, um, is I, I didn't know where to put Javon Freeman Liberty because clearly we watched something really special the first two years. And all signs pointed toward him 
being in the top three if he'd have stayed at Valpo. It's tough that he's going, but Javon Freeman Liberty, for what he did on the court over the first two years, felt like he was in the upper echelon here. Maybe being five is disrespectful to a couple of those guys who stayed all four years. Your thoughts on Javon? Well, (laughs) let's face it. This past season... In 30 years of Valpo basketball, this was one of the five best seasons any Valpo basketball player has played. And I think the only comparisons uh, would be Drew, Brokoff, and Peters as yeah. having seasons similar to what Javon did this year. Um, we talk about elite defensively, obviously he was. Now, now he was a little different than like a Matt Kenny uh, or even a Javon Walker where those guys were so dominant on the ball, uh, where in a one-on-one situation they almost never got beat. Javon would get beat sometimes in a one-on-one situation, but where Javon was great was making decisions off the ball, uh, anticipating passing lanes. That's why the steals numbers were so great. Um, You know, not as strong as like a Kenny or or a Walker, uh, and thus, you know, he would get overpowered at times or get beaten off the dribble, uh, but different than any other Valpo defender that they've had over the past three decades because of his ability to make decisions coming off the ball, coming off his man, uh, double-teaming, trapping, uh, steals from the backside, uh, elite quickness, elite anticipation, and, of course, look how he blossomed offensively from his freshman season to his sophomore season. He felt more comfortable attacking the basket. Uh, he felt more comfortable hitting mid-range shots. He opens up his sophomore season with a game winner against Toledo, and that sort of set the stage for this incredible uh, sophomore season that he had. And sad to say we only get two years of Javon Freeman Liberty basketball, uh, and you know, we don't even have to get into the poor decision he's making, I think, in, in, in transferring. He may end up having to sit out and, and then what purpose did you serve? Here's a guy I don't think he expects to play four years of college basketball. And now he may miss a whole season if it, it happens the way I, I think it probably will, having to sit out by transfer rule. Uh, but in these two seasons, you can't overlook them. And without question, he, he was he needs to be in the top five for the all-decade Valpo team. That run he went on to start the year, 19, 19, 30, 21, 22, 21, 32. You take a break for the non-D1, 28, 19, 17, 22, 21. That's his non-conference run right there. Yeah, and I think the only comparison you would say for about a six-week period would be Alec Peters' last six weeks of his junior season. Yeah, yeah, without question. Um, where he dominated in the conference play and that an incredible run that Alec had in the NIT, uh, those incredible games he played against, uh, what, St. Mary's, uh, against uh, Florida State, uh, that first game he had against uh, uh, BYU. Uh, but that final month of Horizon League play from Alec, that, that you said the two best months uh, of basketball we saw from an individual player in the past decade uh, was the start of the sophomore season for Freeman Liberty and the, uh, the, the end. end of the junior yeah. season for Peters. Uh, final point on Javon. Uh, he makes the all-tournament team in St. Louis after playing two of the worst, you know, playing actually, yeah, two of the worst games of his Valpo career. He was 6 of 25 from the floor after the first two games. That game against Loyola, he looked awful. And I thought, well, they're they're done, you know. And then he comes out against Missouri State and had 29 points and five assists. He just did and three steals, a little bit of everything, nine rebounds. It was great. I know we got we got some time issues here, so I want to move ahead. Number four, uh, Kevin Van Vyke, the the Robin to Ryan Brokoff's Batman there for most of his career. Uh, a guy that battled back injuries throughout, didn't practice a whole lot, but somehow through duct tape and glue and Frank Exton figures out how to put together. He started every game of his senior year and Kevin Van Vyke is, uh, 
I just I have the vision in my mind of him going to the basket, scoring, getting fouled, and doing a little dance before he goes to the free throw line, kind of on loop in my head. Uh, one of my favorite guys to watch just be an absolute bull in a china shop. Well, I got the most out of his ability. You know, uh, Kevin, uh, 6'8", playing the post, not the most talented player. Uh, again, not a jump shooter really at all. He could occasionally step out and make a, a mid-range shot. Uh, but he understood angles. He understood when to react. He understood when to slip. Uh, so many times he would set the screen, slip, and get open. He had a very good feel for the game. Uh, again, those he played three seasons at Valpo, and the sophomore year, uh, I don't think he was healthy. And, and I remember a conversation with Luke Gore. He said, you know, Kevin's going to really emerge here over these next couple seasons, and he did. Um and he was really integral in how well that Valpo team played those two years, uh, the one year ending up in the, in the NIT when they, they lost to Detroit in the title game, and then the team that went to the NCAA before losing to, to Michigan State. Uh, Kevin, obviously, the number two guy, as you said, uh, to Ryan Brokoff. And, and another guy, and I look up and down the list, just tremendous people to be around. Uh, Kevin was always positive, uh, always had a kind word, uh, and from an off-the-court standpoint, a lot of great guys on this list, and Kevin's near the top. And Kevin, uh, now married, I believe as a child, is like an accomplished piano player now, I think, at least from what I can see in videos on social media, and um, and again, just a guy that I really, really enjoyed being around, and uh, you know, maybe really the joy of of Todd, what we're blessed to be able to do is be able to meet people from all across the world, right? And uh, and Kevin certainly was one of those guys. And this next guy on the list, the mayor of Valpo for several years, Vashil Fernandez, uh, just was blessed to have him on the podcast last week to, for him to take us through his journey at Valpo and didn't realize that he was really close to going to Florida State before he ended up going up to Maryland and, and doing a year and, and then showing up at Valpo. But um, Vashiel is someone who defensively allowed so many other players to be great because he could cover up a lot of things. Uh, what's your favorite Vashiel memory? Well, I, I'm going to go back to a conversation I had with Bryce Drew. This was uh, after Vashiel redshirted a year uh, or was forced to sit out, however you want to look at it, uh, and then played in what – uh, I guess technically would be a sophomore season and didn't have a huge impact. And, and it was near the end of that season where uh, Bryce and I chatted about the Shields progression. And he goes, wait till you see him next year. You know, the way he worked to get better and better and better, um, obviously was always elite defensively. Uh, he was the national defensive player of the year. I mean, you kind of forget that there was a player from Valparaiso at that point in the Horizon League was named national defensive player of the year. Um, led the nation in block shots, uh, got a block shot record, career block shot record that we may never see it be broken. That's how far away, uh, you know, far ahead he is of anybody else. Uh, but was a perfect fit for that team. Because you had so many guys who could score. He didn't need to score to have that great impact on the game. But he eventually figured out how he could score. And that was doing kind of like what Kevin Van Dyke did. Set a high ball screen, slip, and get ready for, for receiving. And those, those alley-oop passes from uh, Keith Carter to, to Michelle Fernandez were, were kind of a thing of beauty to watch throughout uh, the couple of years those two guys got to play together. Uh, but Michelle off the court, you know, I mentioned Kevin being so positive all the time and always a kind word. And obviously Michelle, uh, perhaps unlike any other player I've been around in, in three decades as kind, generous, always a positive word. You call him the mayor of Valparaiso. It's, 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 uh, sort of the mantra that I think he kind of lived by was making people happy uh, being a joy to be around. He had mentioned on the podcast, I'd rather, instead of going out to eat, invite a bunch of people over and cook a big meal. That's how he was. 
I, I said this to him on the podcast, and listening back, I thought that it might have been misconstrued when I said that I was surprised when I went to his, I, he invited me to his graduation open house, and I, I stopped by there, and I, I said I was shocked by how many people were there that weren't Valpo basketball related. That's not to say that there weren't a ton of Valpo basketball people there, Um it was the entire town was there, you know, and it was uh, it was amazing. I want to go back here to uh, to what you said about block shots. Number four on the career list is Kikis Gomez at 111. Zoran Viskovic number three at 127. Rytus Grofs 228 at number two. So that's a hundred 101 more than Zoran at number three. And then Vasil Fernandez number one overall with 289 block shots. Yeah. By the way, Rytus Grofs was a four-year big-minute guy who was an elite defender as well and blocked a heck of a lot of shots. Bashir really did that in three seasons. Yeah, you know? yeah. He really didn't do much uh, that first year in which uh, his minutes were very sparing. Number five on the block shot list is number two on our list, Ryan Brokoff. And I, I forget that Brokoff blocked 100 shots. That guy did a little bit of everything. And obviously the iconic moment is Brandon McPherson screaming, it's a three, it's a three, as uh, Brokoff hits the three-pointer against Green Bay. But, you know, it's just what a career that that guy had. To come in kind of from from Australia, no one really knew much about him, joins a team with, with newcomers Brandon Wood and Corey Johnson and kind of overlooked from the start. And, uh, and really, you know, he, he played as a sophomore, but it wasn't until Brandon moved on to Michigan State that Brokoff really blossomed. And I would say, up there with Alec, one of my favorite interviews ever, because Brokoff just made me feel smarter about the game of basketball because he was such a student of the game. Um, Ryan Brokoff was the absolute complete package. Uh, he was a gentleman off the court. He was an honor student. Uh, he was an absolute phenomenal teammate. Um, and he carries his life the way you would want your son uh, to carry their life. Uh, you know, we've got, you could tell a million Ryan Brokaw stories. Uh, and as incredible as he was as a basketball player at Valpo, he was just incredible off the court as well. Uh, just one of my all-time favorite players. I've got a lot of them, obviously, but when people ask me, like, who were the best people to be around and watching for four years and watching how they carried themselves and watching how they were as teammates and watching how hard they worked, you know, it's it's an elite list from my standpoint. It's not always the best players, like, like John Kaiser. Yeah. He obviously near the top of the list. Zoran Viskovich was another one, top of the list. Greg Tonegal, those type of guys. But what differentiated Brokoff from those guys was he was an MVP in the league. Uh, Should have been the MVP multiple. Because you look at all the intangibles that John Kaiser brought to the table. I think this is, I think I'm getting the exact quote. You look at all the intangibles that John Kaiser brought to the table, uh, how he did everything for the team, how he did everything defensively, how he hustled for every loose ball, how he encouraged his teammates, how his teammates loved to be around him. Ryan Brokoff was identical, and then he was MVP of the league. <laughs> That's how much he meant. And, and, and again, Brokoff should have been MVP multiple times, uh, I thought. The Ray McCallum situation there was uh, uh, is what it is. Uh, Brokoff, seventh in points, third tied for third in rebounds, and 20th in assists. Um, By the way, an incredible clutch, clutch player as well. We kind of forget that, uh, or maybe it gets overlooked because he did so many things. But, you know, Valpo goes to Cleveland State. A game they need to win to win the conference championship. Ryan makes five threes in the first half, I think, in, in that ball game. Uh, he made huge shots. There was a game against White State. I think Valpo was up one, uh, and it was about a six or seven shot clock difference in the game at the arc. You might recall this game. Uh and Ryan caught the ball with about 13, 14 seconds to go in the game. Uh, they could have killed off about six or seven more seconds and then ended up with maybe a tougher shot. Ryan said, forget it. I'm taking this one. I'm, I'm open enough and did not hesitate and drilled a three that clinched uh, a game against one of the better teams in the league. Uh, he made 
big, big plays. Shot against Green Bay, obviously iconic, but not surprising that he would make that shot. He was an incredible clutch player. He played incredibly in the in against the best teams they played in the league every single year. Uh, and just he'll go down. Uh, if I end up doing this for another twenty years, Paul, he'll always be at the top of the list as one of my all-time favorite Crusaders. I'll just I'll just wrap up this Wright State game before we move to number one here. He hit that three-pointer with twenty-six seconds left. As a matter of fact. Valpo's down with a minute left at home against Wright State. Broke off, makes a layup. He gets the rebound off the Cole Darling missed jumper. He hits the three. You know, again, it's only 17 seconds into the shot clock. Hits the three. Now they're up four. Arsenault with two free throws. Clock stopped with 19 seconds left. And all it says here is Matt Kenny made layup, fast break, assist by Brokoff, and I imagine that had to have been the home run play. Was because it was very well the home run pass and Ryan Brokoff to Matt Kenny many times on the home run ball. And then and then key here, so Valpo's now up four and Kenny misses a free throw, but Brokoff barrels his way in and gets the offensive rebound, hits two free throws. Valpo wins that game. Um, excellent clutch performance and then good preparation paul you didn't even know i was going to that game and had it right in front of you <laughs> well thank you internet oh, we appreciate that um the the one that we'll end with obviously alec peters top player of the decade for valpo there's really no question you can throw all the superlatives you want out there points rebounds top in the program he had a broken a thousand rebounds if he had been healthy for those last couple games probably would have you know, broken is certainly 2,400 points. Um, and if they'd have gone on a run, he might have been able to get to 2,500. Uh, I know you watched a lot of Bryce. You watched a lot of Alec. I think it's probably a Jordan LeBron. It's unfair to maybe compare them, but certainly Alec has, uh, is, is up there as one of the all-time greats and certainly the best in the decade. A great testament to getting the most out of your ability by working your tail off. Nobody was in the gym more. Nobody got off more shots. Nobody worked harder in the weight room. Uh, he did everything. Remember, he came in, he was, he was kind of a sin. Um, you know, maybe he could have turned uh, 8 to 10 pounds of fat into muscle. He did that. And you look at how his game transformed. He was really just a shooter his freshman year. You look at how he played his senior year, he scored more points in the paint than he did from the perimeter, or had more field goals uh, inside than he did outside uh, in his senior season because he worked on his body, he worked on his game, he worked on his post-up moves. uh, And I thought, so great, he broke Bryce Drew's record uh, catching the ball in the post and almost doing a Kevin McHale-type move uh, with the head and shoulder fake and going inside and putting it in off the glass. Um, another guy who, you know, you're just proud that they were a Valpo basketball player because of how they handled themselves, how hard they worked, how well they did in the classroom. Um, and the fact that, you know, he finished as the school's all-time leading scorer and rebounder and never got to finish his senior season. You know, the, those records would have even been uh, greater had he been able to finish his senior season, uh, and then the way he kind of fought for Jabril Atacoya when uh, Jabril was uh, suspended, basically, uh, and Alec, you know, put his friend uh, forward. He wanted everybody to know that, uh, in his mind, this was unjust. Uh, Alec was almost like a, a 1960s freedom, uh, freedom fighter. <laughs> Here was a guy who, you know, he could have the spotlight on himself, uh, but instead, he wanted everybody to know that what was happening in Jabril wasn't fair. He fought for his friend. He fought for his teammate. And, and that's one thing I, I really loved about Alec. But um, certainly came in as a guy who was just a, a great shooter. He finished as a complete basketball player, and I give him credit for that. You know, I remember here, uh, as, as we'll wrap this up quickly, I remember Alec Peters, his freshman year, after they lose to Green Bay, in the conference tournament, uh, at least in Milwaukee, excuse me, in Green Bay, just comes out on the court and just stood there, you know, for, for a while. And uh, you could just kind of see the pain and, and the resolve a little bit. And and then a couple weeks later, one of the guys on that team transferred away. And I remember reaching out to Alec and, and, and kind of asking, like, what's going on? And and Alec basically said, if, if, 
you want to be here, you're with me. If you're not, you're gone. And, uh, and he was a killer, you know? I mean, I, I, was. I, I look he at, was. He was. I tell you, that, it was one, one difference between the personality of Brokoff and Peters uh, was Alec Peters had a little bit of a mean streak. Uh, and, of course, Ryan didn't have a mean bone in his body. Uh, so that was, I guess, if there was a difference between those two from a personality standpoint, that was it. And and this was he hated Kaiser at the beginning and then ended up growing to love him. And but but Alec was not afraid to let some teammates know when when they weren't working hard. And uh and yeah. You know, I watching the Last Dance documentary I and being so not only watching the Last Dance documentary, but also being a Green Bay Packer fan and, and like what you hear about Aaron Rodgers, the way that he leads a little bit, like some of the great ones are not afraid to get in your face. You know, I loved the Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr story. I love the constant Scotty Burrell stuff. And uh, I imagine there's even stories that you and I don't know about Alec and, and pushing his teammates. And, uh, and look, they 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 were there for him when it mattered, and uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Todd, thank you. Uh, it was a great ten years. God, let's do ten more. All right, Paul. Hey, Paul. As always, an absolute pleasure. <laughs> you uh, you are now the leader in appearances on Union Street Hoop, so I'm appreciative of that. So, uh, thank you. The uh, the online poker is calling. So take care, and uh, we'll see you as we get a little closer to basketball season. Thank you. 